Out of the Bottle. We discuss Londoner Graham Webb's amazing journey from a 15-year-old dropout with spinal bifida to a successful entrepreneur in the global multi-billion dollar hair industry. This is episode four. Greetings again, Graham. Let's continue our discussion of your memoir, Out of the Bottle. Once you establish a viable and vibrant business, what are the financial challenges of growth? Well, of course, profit isn't cash, as any experienced business person will tell you. And even if you make a healthy profit, you often haven't got the cash for expansion. Um, the first port of call would, in my case, have been the banker or my split banking, the two bankers. And it often helped to go to one bank to um, expand my next location and then go to the alternate bank for the next amount of money. That way there wasn't just one person that you were needing to chat up at any one time. Um, when I opened in America that was a whole different situation and because it was a major loan uh, the one bank wanted everything. Um, but before I actually did that I tried to get venture capital and I spent a great deal of money um, putting together a proper business plan that a venture capitalist would require. And many weeks later, it was to my huge disappointment that they turned me down. That must have been a challenging time for you. But looking back, it seems almost for the best. Uh, hindsight's a great thing. And in retrospect, if I'd have got the venture capital, I probably wouldn't be in business now. Because however much you try to guesstimate, however much you think you've got your numbers right, um, many of us don't get our numbers right. And from what I've heard, the venture capitalist may well have then put somebody on my board and ratcheted my shareholding. If we'd have known what our American venture would have actually ended up costing, we wouldn't have done it. So in a, in a strange way, there's an ambivalence there. Um, if my financial director and myself had been so specifically clever to have got the figures precisely right, I'm pretty sure we'd have gone, no way, let's stay in England. But because we kind of got it wrong, we then you know, moved into the era of nearly losing our fingernails, you know, while we were hanging on to try and make it happen. And of course, it did eventually happened, that we survived and, and grew and succeeded. Um, and so um, getting the money, the estimate right, would have stopped us doing it, just like the venture capital company would have stopped us doing it. I imagine those were very high-pressure meetings. It must have been humbling. I think I approached them as if they needed me, but the truth was, you know, my toes were curling under the table while I was trying to sort of get their agreement. I think a, a really good, important thing when you're going for a loan like that is to have a like-minded person alongside you. And in my case with the American venture, I had my American accountant there and my UK accountant there, along with me, the entrepreneur, and my own in-house financial director, so that I noticed that the bankers addressed all of us, and I would defer to the American accountant if it was a more American question. And so you've got to go there with the whole team because I've always thought that if two partners 
in a business always agree one of them's unnecessary so you've got to play to your strengths when you go to those things let's turn back to the book and hear more about how you parlayed your first salon into multiple outlets No sooner did I have the Greenwich Salon running smoothly than I complicated my life again by expanding the Lee Green Salon, making it bigger by growing into a vacancy next door. And then I found a great location for a third salon in Bromley in Kent. The problem was I didn't have enough money to open it without the assistance of a bank loan. My bank manager at National Westminster Bank was a man named Dick. That really was his name, not what I suddenly thought of him when he informed me I was already at my borrowing limit. I scheduled another meeting with the bank and pleaded my case for more money. But I was turned down again. My guess was that the usually helpful Dick had his hands tied by his lending limits. One advantage of a hairdressing business is that you end up meeting people from all walks of life. Everybody needs their hair cut, whether rich or poor. And one of my clients, Dennis Lane, worked as a manager at Barclays Bank. So the next time Dennis was in my salon, I told him about my frustration of not getting more financing from National Westminster Bank. He ended up asking me to come and see him about a loan. Dennis agreed to give me the loan, but it would be at a higher interest rate because what I had to offer as security was already tied up with my loan at the other bank. He also told me I needed to talk to Dick at National Westminster to tell him what I was doing. Dennis didn't want to loan me the money if it was going to make my primary lender edgy about the arrangement. I dreaded that talk, because I feared that Dick could have ruined me. All he had to do was to call in my loan, and I'd be sunk. Not only unable to finance Bromley, but now putting my other two salons in financial jeopardy as well. Look, Dick, I said, I really feel passionately about opening the new salon. He listened, and was supportive of my plans for the other bank's loan. It was one of those crucial little junctures in my journey where something that turned out right could just as easily gone wrong and sent me back to square one. For a number of years, I operated with two banks, known in the jargon as split banking. It worked really well for me as I did not have all my eggs in one basket and I could often open a new location with borrowing from one bank, and then the next location I would borrow from the other bank. I still send a Christmas card to Dick Glassington and his wife Jean. Dennis Lane sadly passed away several years ago, but at Christmas I still correspond with the Barclays Bank manager's wife, Sylvia. 
In business, I've frequently been frustrated by bankers, but amongst those I've respected, Dick and Dennis are two with whom I've developed friendships, which began as nothing more than a business contact. You need real human contact in a business environment, making what could be impersonal contacts into your actual team players, allies rather than potential obstacles. So much of business is a plate-spinning act, and it's foolish to think you can spin them all on your own. One needs people to stand by you, and there's no better way to do that than to develop a rapport with your banker and accountant, thus turning what could be a cold, bottom-line relationship into something much more personal. I remember inviting John Wood, our company's auditor, to have a tour of my salons. Roger Drennan, our financial director, just couldn't see the point of me wasting my and John's time in doing this. But over the months and years, whenever I've talked to John about any of the salons, this gave him an intangible, but I believe helpful memory of the salon or the setup that I was talking about. It was also good that this visit enabled John to come to my home and to meet Mandy and my family, beginning more than just an arm's length accountant relationship. Right from my first experiences in selling, I've believed that people buy people first. One of the real tragedies in the business world is the evolution of banking from a corner shop type of business to a sort of faceless bureaucracy. In the days of the local bank, you knew your banker as a neighbour or as a fellow volunteer in the local charity. You might have even sat next to him at a rotary meeting or your children might have gone to school with his. When discussing a loan, the banker would already know a lot about you and your business. He could assess the viability of your loan through measures that didn't just show up on a balance sheet. And if you wanted to borrow more money than he could lend you, he'd send your proposal to the district manager and be able to put a good word in for you. Chances are you'd know the district manager too and would also be aware of his lending limits. And if he liked and trusted you as well, your prospects of getting approval were better. But in an effort to save money and streamline their operations, banks phased out the jobs of these crucial people and replaced them with a concept called one-stop banking. One-stop banking is better called faceless banking. You're just a number. When you call the bank, you're likely to reach a voice message which patches you through to a low-paid worker in a call centre in India or Malaysia. This person only wants to know your loan number. Or instead of the local bank for business, there's something called a corporate business centre, a sort of maze of paper shuffling where your assets are visible only as a bunch of numbers on the screen. There's no premium at all put on your work habits, your dreams, or your drive to succeed. The old motto of the banker, back the man, or woman, 
has been abandoned, as has the local banker, who knew everyone to whom he loaned money. When I dealt with Dick or Dennis in those early days, I felt as if they were on my team, as if they were as eager as I was to see me succeed. I remember once Dick warned me away from a property because he had heard that there was going to be significant road construction nearby and it just might affect my business there. The guy at the corporate business centre wouldn't know about this and while this new regime of banking seemed to be a cost-effective kind of downsizing, it also lowered the entrepreneurial possibilities for small business people and it unfortunately made the Dicks and Dennises of this world much less relevant, though no less needed. Some banks have recently realised this and are now promoting the benefits of reintroducing what they now call relationship banking. Getting to know your local manager and him or her getting to know you and your family. But for quite a few years, the other system stunted some of my growth potential and made my business worries worse than if I could have popped in for a cup of tea and a chat with my friendly bank manager. For more information about purchasing out of the bottle, visit gramweb.co.uk. Proceeds from the sale of Out of the Bottle benefit a variety of charities, including those seeking to find a cure for spina bifida.